your Bibles put together correctly, you'll come to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be there in a moment. So I have the opportunity... Uh, oh, by the way, we didn't get to, to say... I said this last week. I visited some other churches when I was on vacation. And I just wanted to publicly say this out loud to, so that uh, Carlos can hear. We have the best coffee in town, just so you know, Carlos. So, uh, hands down. Um, did I tell you there was one church I we went to? I didn't know where the coffee was because all the people were standing around it. No, I, I'm, and I guess that shows the level of my Christianity when I walk into a church. First thing I look for is where's the coffee. But anyways, we don't do that either. Uh, so we had Pastor Mike uh, was here with us uh, a few weeks and did a, did a wonderful job. And um, uh, I knew he would. And Pastor Bruce, and those were two pastors in the area that uh, just so you, you know, I meet with them. We meet uh, a couple times a month to read books together. We uh, I don't know, if, if you are a natural book reader, God bless you. If you need other people to make sure that you get your chapters in, you're in my category. And so we, we read uh, ministry books together and um, kind of discuss those and help each other to grow in, in our faith. And I just want you to know, when I met with them this last week, they both said what a wonderful time they had at our church. And they said, you have great people. Now, I already knew that. But I want you to know that's what they think. And they were so kind. And I had never thought to even worry. You know how teachers worry that a substitute is going to be treated harshly by their kids? I had never thought to worry about you guys, how you might treat pastors coming in. And uh, now I know I don't even need to worry about that. And they, I just want you to know, I didn't ask them how it even went. They started at what a wonderful time they had and a blessing you were. So I want you to know that, okay? Now, there was one thing. That they, they said. They said, the only thing, Tim, with your people is they sit too far back. All right? Now, they may not have said it directly. It may have been implied in the conversation. But um, they really enjoyed, and I want you to know they enjoyed being here. So, yeah, come on. Come on. <laughs> um, I want to give you a couple images as we begin this morning. Uh, this this message. I, I hope one of the things I do want to say. I hope you're receiving the the emails that I send out before Sunday. Kind of tells you where we're going to be headed on Sunday. I had some announcements in there, and I I added a new feature. It's called uh, I wanted to call it resources, but that's too technical. I think I just called it encouraging. And so it's a link to some articles. Uh, one was an article uh, by our district superintendent. Uh, he writes a thing called Rock in the Pond, and I thought it was was excellent. And another was a sermon by Pastor Matt Bohannon. So Matt, his first Sunday back after his family leave, after the birth of their son, Reese, who had some and still has some very serious medical uh, problems, but Reese has gone home now. Matt preached uh, uh, a sermon, sharing a little bit about that experience, what God had been teaching him. And it was it was amazing. Uh, um, just knowing Matt, I, I haven't texted him yet because I wanted to say, oh, my little Matt's all grown up. <laughs> But I think that's a little bit childish. It was truly not only a mature sermon, but something from the heart and something that those of us who deal with suffering and things like that can be encouraged by. So I just want you to know it's available to you. If you didn't get the email, um, come tell me or hand me your email on a card after church and I'll make sure I add you to the list. Uh, that sermon, they, they link it to their website. If you have trouble 
bringing it up. Uh, Holly's our technical expert, so you can ask her how to, how to make it happen. But I just wanted you to, to know about that. I want to give you a couple Im- images to begin uh, this morning. Uh, imagine an experienced, competent sailor. She has decided to sail to Hawaii, and halfway through her journey, she abandons her boat, but she continues on towards her destination. Now, the second image is someone who's going to do some household roof repairs. And they begin the job uh, climbing up on the ladder to assess the damage and the work they need to do. And as soon as they climb up to the roof, before they've even done the assessment, they kick the ladder away. Now, in, in both these pictures, you're going, what are they thinking, right? And in both these circumstances, you know that uh, the, uh, the weekend worker, he's not going to get his job done, or at least not very quickly. And this sailor, she's not going to make it to Hawaii, or at least not very quickly. <laughs> because they have both abandoned the key thing that they needed in order to get where they wanted to go or to do what they wanted to do. They abandoned the one thing that was indispensable to them if they wanted to complete what they started. The question for us this morning is this. If we want to continue to be faithful Christians, if we want to continue to grow in, uh, in Christ and follow Jesus, we need to journey with Jesus. And is it possible that we can be on this journey but have some point have abandoned the very presence of Jesus with us? We just play with that idea because a lot of us, you hear that question, you're like, well, no, you can't be following Jesus and have abandoned Jesus at the same time. Is it possible that we think we're continuing and progressing and growing in our Christian journey even though we may have ignored or stopped paying attention to or abandoned the very real presence of Jesus. Now, believe it or not, this is the issue that John's addressing. So, it may some of you were here in our series we did on Revelation, and we know that John was writing the book of Revelation to the churches in Asia Minor. He's still writing. These letters are probably to those same churches in the area we would call, uh, well, where Turkey is today. He's writing this letter. And this is the issue, or one of the issues, he was dealing with. They had... They were continuing to think they were good or moral or Christian in some sort of sense, but they had abandoned, they had abandoned the very real presence of Jesus. In fact, in, in um, chapter 2, verse 27, John is reminding them, you need to remain in Him. Now, pop quiz. In 1 John, when the author of the Gospel of John, this isn't a Gospel, now he's writing letters. Okay? So when he's writing a, a letter, although somebody pointed out, really this is more than a letter, this is like a sermon in itself. <laughs> it's not a typical letter, he's writing a sermon to these folks. But when he says in this letter, remain in Jesus, the implication being some people haven't remained. But now I want you to go back in your minds to the Gospel of John. Is there an idea, a passage, a metaphor, an image there about remaining in Jesus that any of you can think of? Like I said, it's a pop quiz. Remain in me. Does that bring to mind anything? 
It was last week's sermon. <laughs> Jesus is the vine, right? So I, I think it's, it's... I just want you to know, whenever you're reading through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, keep in mind, it's John. And so the things he's already learned from Jesus, he's probably going to your find flowing over, and we'll see one more point there this morning. But if the apostle... John has to not only in his gospel, but in his letters say, remain in Jesus, then it's possible that we, and we talked about this last week, can get disconnected from the very real presence of Jesus. So let's just read the introduction uh, to this letter. 1 John verses 1 through 4 this morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. If you're following along this morning and you have your your notes, uh, I want you to write this in your, your blank. Number one, our journey with Jesus begins with His real presence. Our journey with Jesus begins with His real presence. So you may have noticed that which was from the beginning... That may have struck out to you when we first read it, and you thought, oh, you're thinking Genesis, right? Don't go there. Because this is a letter of John, and he's not referencing Genesis directly, indirectly, yes, but not directly. He's referencing back to his gospel. And back in his gospel, in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, that is a reference to the idea of, of Genesis, but it's talking about a new beginning. In the beginning was, anybody put that there? The Word. Remember that? And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Now, there is the idea of Genesis there because that's how God spoke creation into existence. But what John is saying in his Gospel is that there's a new creation happening. Something brand new that God is doing. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God put on human skin. We call that the incarnation. It all began with a baby in the womb. Now, I just want to admit to you that John can be difficult to understand. Uh, his Gospel is, is one of the easiest as far as reading goes, but one of the most difficult as far as the depth of its theology, especially this idea that God put on flesh. The Word became flesh. And that, that Word there, when we say Word, it actually means something more than just a Word. Or when someone says Word, I don't know if they still say that anymore. Uh, the, the Greek term there is logos. All right, It means ultimate reality. Ultimate truth. It means the very essence of, of belief, what you believe as foundational. So, so for the Jews, word, logos, word, would be the law and the prophets. All right? for, for Muslims, word would be Torah. If you were living back in the first century and, and you, you knew something about Greek philosophy, that's what the word was. For the Greeks, word 
was philosophy. For, for modern day thinkers or postmodern thinkers, word that is ultimate truth or ultimate reality is our opinion or what we feel. Have you noticed that in our world? For the Christian, listen, our ultimate truth and ultimate reality is not a book. It's not a philosophy written down. It's not a human thought or opinion or feeling. It is a person. The Word for us is Jesus. Now, how do we understand Jesus? We get information about Jesus through written Word, through the New Testament. But the Word for us, the ultimate reality and truth, comes through a person. And John here says that the Word became flesh, put on skin and bones. The Word became, I'll give you another term here, relatable. Think this going on in your notes here. Jesus is God's real, relatable presence. Now, someone is relatable when you can see them, hear them, touch them, experience them, and you get them right. <laughs> so, so there are. Uh, so, if you're hanging out with someone who's a super genius, well, let me just put it this way: <clears throat> people on Jeopardy usually aren't relatable to us. Are you with me? You know, so uh, I look at Jeopardy. I know I can tell what Jeopardy is on by listening. I don't have to look at the screen. If I know 25% of the questions, it's teen Jeopardy, right? <laughs> if, if I know uh, 10% of the questions, it's college Jeopardy. If I know 5% of the, of the answers, I should say, uh, then it's regular Jeopardy. And if I can't even understand the questions, then it's the Tournament of Champions. You with me? Those people are they're just amazing what they know. But it's not, not relatable. All the way, although as an aside, they were doing the Tournament of Champions and I'm struggling to understand the questions and they had a Bible category and it was fun because I knew them all and they only got two of them. So it felt, I felt kind of smart there just for a moment. Jesus is God's relatable presence. And notice how John describes, he's describing here his relationship with Jesus and the apostles' relationship with Jesus. They heard him. They saw him. We're in verse one. We have heard. We have seen with our eyes. We have looked at and our hands have touched. Notice the progression here. They hear Jesus. That's a distance. Then they say, let's go check it out. And then they see Jesus. Then it says they look. That means they hang with him over time and they observe him and they touch him. That means they, in a sense, can examine him. They hang out with him. They can be close to him. That was their experience, their life, their understanding of Jesus. He was God becoming real and a relatable presence. God in the flesh. Who wants that type of relationship with Jesus? Right? You want that? All right. Let me me show you an example of why this is so cool. So I'm going to make Keith come up here for a moment for two reasons. One, he doesn't yell. He won't get mad at me. And two, he's never done this before. So I was like, I, I literally was in my office. Like, who can I pick on this morning? Who sits in the front? Oh, no. God bless you. Okay. So, so let's just, just kind of give you, let's say that, so Keith is Jesus. Okay. The real, relatable presence of God. And I am a rabbi in the first century. I'm telling you about God. And I have all my books. I have all my knowledge, all my experience. And I'm telling you about God. But here you have Jesus who's revealing to you 
who God is. Who are you going to choose to go to? Who, who do you want? Who's really going to fulfill your needs so that you understand Jesus? And that's what God has done. I was going to sit down and make you stand up here alone, but then you wouldn't free me. I'll let you sit down. Thanks. Thanks. That's what it, it meant to them to have the real, relatable presence of God with them. Now, we have to take this, this idea of incarnation. Um, we have to follow it through to its logical conclusion. So, John's description... They heard, they saw, they looked, they got closer, and they touched means that not only did they have a physical relationship with Jesus that was close, but it was over time. They were in close proximity with Jesus over a period of time. Think of relationships that you have with others that are close in proximity and happen over a period of time. So, marriage. That's a relationship that happens in close proximity over a period of time. Family. If you guys want to throw some out, you can. I, these are those that I thought of. I thought of family members, right? How about uh, BFFs or besties? Georgia, who's your bestie? Oh, don't say you have all your friends here. Huh? That would embarrass you. So, a bestie is someone, and I'm, I don't use that term. I'm just using it in the, in the modern vernacular, right? Or best friend forever, right? That is someone that you are close to in proximity a lot. And you have a long-term relationship with coworker, all right, roommate, uh, traveling companion, or camping buddy. And maybe there's some I've missed. Are there others? N- neighbor, excellent. Classmate, thank you. All those things. You're going, oh yeah, I get it. And then, as soon as you move from Jesus to these other other relationships, you realize something. But these people also annoy me. (laughs) Are you hearing me? Whenever you're in close proximity with another human being, no matter the origin of that human being, but they're fully a human being, over a period of time, you're going to experience their, it will be nice, idiosyncrasies. What if Jesus snored? What if at nighttime Peter was a light sleeper and he needed quiet? But Jesus, the Son of God, being fully human, in his fully human form, snored. Do you think that would be a little bit annoying? What if Jesus was one of those people who when they were ordering food, liked it prepared a certain way? You know those folks? Because they always end up in front of you in line. Yeah, I do want a hamburger, but listen. All right? No cheese, no tomato. I want lettuce, but I want that lettuce crispy. I only want two pickles because three pickles just throws off the taste of, of the meat. I don't want any mustard and I want the ketchup and the mayonnaise separate. So I don't care which is higher or lower. Just don't put them together. Right? Some of you are thinking of others. Some of you are trying not to look next to you. If Jesus being fully human came and lived in close proximity, he had to learn to get along with others' idiosyncrasies and they had to learn to get along with his idiosyncrasies as well. And what developed between them was a mutual, caring relationship. Because Jesus was perfect in his love, we are not, and taught them to be perfect in their love over time, even with one another. 
And being in a real presence with someone, listen, it's easy to distance yourself, right? So our students have been on summer vacation and they grew apart in their relationships with friends because they're not going to school. I mean, follow this through to its, its logical conclusion. If being in Jesus' real presence was the way to be intimate with Him, then it was possible to distance yourself from Jesus and not show up as much. Or the group is traveling here, I'll catch up with them when they get to the other town. And still think of yourself as a, a follower, but you have distanced yourself from Him. You see the point there? This is where John wants us to understand that we have to take the doctrine of the incarnation and God putting on flesh and think it through fully and completely. And while they were experiencing time with Jesus, point two is this, they learned something. In the presence of Jesus, they discovered eternal life. Now, my weird imagination, I was doing, uh, putting together this message and I thought, oh, eternal life, you could shorten that to the e-life. We have all kinds of e-things today, don't we? Uh, e-books and e-stuff like that. And so Jesus came up with e-life before we had electronic. I didn't use that term because I don't want you to think of eternal life in, as an electronic thing. And not. But it says that in the presence of Jesus, this is verse 2, they discovered eternal life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you it's the eternal life which was um, with the Father and has appeared to us. How can you discover eternal life while here on earth? This doesn't make sense, John. You can't experience eternal life here. Eternal life is something that happens later on. Eternal life is something in the future. After we die and we go to heaven, then we'll experience eternal life. But that's not what John says. He's challenging what we often think of as eternal life. as something in the future. One day we'll go to heaven and everything will be perfect. But they're saying that while here on earth they ran into or met or discovered, had appeared to them the eternal life, who ended up being, as we see here, Jesus. Eternal life must be more than just this promise of the future being with God forever in eternity or heaven. It's found in the real presence of Jesus, and therefore it must somehow already be present with us now. Let me give you a couple just descriptions of the eternal life to help us get this. First of all, eternal life is the same thing as the kingdom of God in the New Testament. So remember that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. By the way, that idea of nearness includes in it uh, the idea of being touchable. It, it, throw that in there. When Jesus, you've heard this one, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now put this one in there. Repent for the kingdom of God is within reach. You can reach it now. And when you combine that with your understanding that God became flesh, you realize you can reach out and grab Jesus, that He is the eternal life. So the kingdom of God describes a culture, a community, under the rule of God as King or Christ as King. Describes a people and a way they get along. And now the very nature of heaven, the very nature of the kingdom of God has come to earth and it's found in the person of Jesus. The second thing I would say here is eternal life is Jesus. There are oftentimes you can say this about God. God is love. We can say that. 
Jesus is God. We can say that. And we can say this too. Jesus is eternal life. This new quality of life, this, this life that comes from heaven, this life that we want is found in Jesus. Remember when he was talking to the rich man and the rich man said, hey, I've, I've obeyed all the commands. I've done all this. What else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't say, well, you need to believe in me. He said, you need to come hang out with me. Sell all your possessions and follow me. Because he couldn't cart all his possessions with him and follow Jesus at the same time. Right there, Jesus was saying, I am eternal life. If you want eternal life, you're going to need to give up anything that keeps you from me and give yourself fully to me. Be in my real presence. We are living the eternal life. Are you following me? It's not just in the future. Yes, there is a future part to it. But we live the eternal life when we live in the presence of Jesus now, when we trust Him and obey Him. Then we are living the eternal life. There is a dual nature to Christian teaching or Christian doctrine. Uh, this goes really with, with all uh, truth. Um, it's both, and I'm going to give you some the technical terms and I'll make it easier. But you've heard these before, so I just want to help you understand what they mean. There's orthodoxy. You've heard of orthodox, right? The orthodox church. That just means right, pra uh, right belief, orthodoxy. Then there's orthopraxy. That means right practice. So Christianity is not just about believing the right things. It's also doing the right things. Really doing the Jesus thing is a better way to say that. Because what we say are right things aren't always what Jesus says. Right? So, to help you understand, if you have uh, um, an infection and you're taking antibiotics, you can believe that the antibiotics will heal you. But they're not going to do any good until what? You take them. So that's orthodoxy. I believe that these are the pills I need. Orthopraxy is taking them. Here, here's another one. If you believe your microwave can cook the packet of microwave popcorn you have out, it doesn't do you any good until you put it in the microwave and pop the popcorn. You see, orthodoxy is just believing something which leads to orthopraxy. Now you're all thinking about microwave pop popcorn, huh? Uh, I am. Non-burnt microwave pop popcorn, that is. <laughs> hmm. We are really good at knowing orthodoxy, right belief. But it doesn't often follow that we put it into practice. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that He is the eternal life, but are we following His life? We believe we should love God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul, but are we examining ourselves to do that? We believe that we should love our neighbor. This is the one I think that gets us the most. But are we loving our neighbor? Do we even know our neighbor's names? We believe we should care for the sick, but do we? We believe that we should forgive our enemies. And sometimes our enemies are simply those who annoy us. <laughs> but do we hold on to those grudges? We believe this, but do we live it out? And if living it out is life, in this life, is part of following Jesus, when we don't live it out, 
we abandon His real presence. I hope something clicked in you when I said that. Because we can keep this idea of the incarnation and eternal life, we can keep it in this um, thinking realm. But what Jesus came to call us to was to experience His real presence. When we just believe everything He says is good, this is good, this is good, and we just believe the doctrine, but we don't strive to live it out. When we learn it, but don't live it. When we believe it, but don't practice it, then we've abandoned Jesus. We've kicked away the ladder. We've jumped off the ship. Because the real presence of Jesus is living, is eternal life, and it's living out that eternal life. Does that make sense to you? John is saying, folks, you have to live out the life that Jesus died and rose to give you. Wherever you are in your spheres of life, at work, at the country club, among your friends, at school, wherever it may be. But... (laughs) If you're following along, Jesus' presence was real for the apostles. They lived the eternal life because they followed Him and did what He told them to do and and they obeyed His commands. Aha! We have an out. Did you find the out? We don't have the real presence of Jesus with us anymore. We don't have Him. We can't see Him, hear Him, touch Him, uh, look at Him or, or touch Him, right? Ah, well, the apostles were able to do it because they had Jesus physically with them. We don't. So we have a, a pass, if, if you will. I think John knew we were going to think that, and so he wrote verse 3. Are you ready for verse 3? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The real presence of Jesus is found now in Christian fellowship. The real presence of Jesus, this is number 3, is found in Christian fellowship. Uh oh. I should say, is now found. All right? See? I made a mistake, but it means I had to point it out to you. So now you are writing it down because you all love to to make sure I'm corrected there. The real presence of Jesus is now found in Christian fellowship. Um, Fellowship, in a nutshell, is being with people and sharing life, living life together with people that you have something in common with. And in this case, it's having a common faith in Jesus that He is the real presence of God. And it's sharing in that relationship with others. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may have heard of his book, he wrote this book called Life Together. Getting together with people being together with people, doing life together with people who have the same belief as you do. Now, just know what fellowship is not. It's not getting together with people you like. Don't you wish it were? You ever think of how Jesus did? I mean, He chose these 12 guys and I don't think they got along well, at first at least. Or maybe there's a lot that's just left out of the Gospels. We don't know. But, you know, they were from all over. Some were, were fishermen. One was a tax collector. How many of you have a friend who works for the IRS? You don't want to admit that, right? right? One was a, 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 a political zealot. I mean, he was talking politics all the time, whether he was right wing, uh, wing or left wing, we're not sure, but he was just talking politics all the time. 
James and John, the sons of thunder. All right? So they, if they had had motorcycles in that day, they would have been part of that motorcycle game. And, and Jesus brings them together. And, and remember, it's interesting because Jesus puts off choosing these men and, and actually delegates that to God. Remember, he spent the whole night in prayer. It was the Holy Spirit that chose them. And, and I wonder if because Jesus was doing everything according to God's will, he being God, he didn't choose them by his own human means, but he let God choose them. And uh, God chooses us to be in fellowship with people we wouldn't normally choose to be in fellowship with. Isn't that interesting? I don't want to go too far in, in this, but just in, in the church today, especially in America, we choose churches by finding people we like and churches we like. Not by what God may be wanting us to do so that we can keep it comfortable. God is interested in getting us together with people we may not necessarily choose or like and to be in fellowship with them. Secondly, fellowship is more than just hanging out. It is being together with a group of others who are mutually helping one another follow Christ to live out the eternal life. Now, I want to ask you a, a question. Um, it won't sound theological, but, but it is. It's important. If Jesus had come to this earth and lived like a, Chris, a typical American Christian in isolation, doing Christianity his own way, if he had just shown up and lived apart from others, teaching and doing all that and, and having his itinerant ministry and going around doing these things and miracles and all that, but didn't have this close band of friends, would he have succeeded in his mission? Would he have been able to suffer, die, and rise again so we could be forgiven? And the answer has to be no. And if we believe that he was God in the flesh, so he was fully God and fully human, then he was created, the human part of him needed, just like we're created, he needed fellowship. If Jesus did not have the disciples with him, the small groups, here's an idea. Jesus was born in need, humanly speaking. He needed nothing spiritually. He did not need forgiveness. Please you know, don't, don't go there and think I'm, I'm saying anything that's, that's uh, wrong theologically. He did not need forgiveness. He did not need someone to teach him the truth. But he needed everything physically human beings needed. He was born a baby. Babies are the neediest in the world. Even as they get older, we went and, and saw my um, my brother, and he has a, a two-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy, and they were needy for Uncle Tim. The older cousins they hung out and did their thing, and, and Lisa uh, hung out with his wife and they did their thing. But Caden and Camden, it was me full time. I was exhausted by the time we left. I mean, we swam, we played. They got this new uh, foam fold-out couch, and we. Ended up wrestling on that. I, I didn't even ask if it was okay to do it. We just ended up doing it. Uh, I was exhausted. But they were needy. What did they need? They needed that attention. Can you imagine Jesus as a toddler? He needed the attention of others. Even as he got older. When Jesus went to minister to the woman at the well. Remember that story? He was in need of water. He was sitting at a well. He had no way to draw water for himself. The disciples had left. When she found him, he was in complete need. If she had not drawn water, he might have died right then and there. We don't think of Jesus being in need. 
Now, when it comes to fellowship, brothers and sisters, not only do we need fellowship, but we need to be in fellowship with other Christians who know our needs and help meet our needs. We often think of, well, if I'm going to join a group or be with people, I need to be able to minister to them or bring them something. And the truth is, it's mutual. We need them and they need us. And without that type of fellowship, which is now, according to John, the real presence of Jesus, that's where we get it. That's where we find eternal life. Now, that's where we find the real presence of Jesus in fellowship with one another because that fellowship was with God. Then we are able to grow and live out the eternal life. Are isolated, keep it to yourself, choose those you like, have it your own way, Christianity is keeping our faith from growing. I wrote here actually is killing our faith. That might be too strong, but it's definitely not helping our faith. When we abandon fellowship, we abandon Jesus. And the reasons for isolation are those same reasons that we don't get together with others. We're busy. We don't feel like it. Um, maybe you can help me with someone. Uh, we think uh, um, they won't like us. All, you, all these reasons we give for isolating ourselves from others. So Aaron and I are, are reading uh, together the uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, right? We're going through that book. And I was thinking about this last night, Aaron, uh, and I encourage you to read it in an updated English version. All the people who helped the, the, the main character Christian out uh, it's, it's an allegory. So their names describe their character. But he meets helper. He meets evangelist. He meets discretion. He, he meets interpreter. Uh, he meets uh, faithful. He meets hopeful. I know, I'm thinking it sounds like the, the, the seven dwarfs, doesn't it? A little bit there. <laughs> but all these people, and if you take one of them out of the story, he fails. He needed their fellowship. And we need the fellowship with of others. So I simply want to ask you this question. What are you doing to live the eternal life in the real presence of Jesus? What are you doing to have this fellowship? And this time of year we promote our life groups. And those are one of the means that we use at Hilltop to provide that fellowship. We're, we're studying God's Word together and we're helping each other, holding them accountable. So our youth this week they have an assignment. Do you guys remember your assignment? Right, you do? It was, they're going to pray the Lord's Prayer every day this week, slowly and contemplatively. But that's what they, they agreed to do it. I didn't force them. I didn't say, until you say yes, you cannot have any of the food I brought this morning. They're doing it. But we need that. You need it. I need it. So what are we doing? Are we isolating ourselves? Or are we spending time with the fellowship? Point four is just a closer. Really, that was a closer. Just a little bonus point. I just wrote here, I think, what about verse four? four. Notice this. We write this to you to make our joy complete. For the follower of Christ, joy, part of our joy being complete, comes when we tell others. Have you ever noticed you do not have a great desire or compulsion to go tell others about your faith in Christ? If you go back to the previous three verses, you see that that comes through fellowship. Through being in the real, relatable presence of Christ. 
And once we're in the real relatable presence of Christ with others and as our joy and our understanding begins to overflow and we get this eternal life and we live this eternal life, then we find great joy in letting others know what we have found in the real relatable presence of Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to pray and as the worship team comes forward. Gracious, almighty God in heaven, we need You, Jesus. We say this, we sing it. We need Your presence with us. We read the New Testament and we think, oh, how wonderful it would have been had we been in Your presence. But You have not forgotten that need. You went to heaven, Lord, so that You could give us Your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, through Christian fellowship, makes Your real, relatable presence real and relatable and present to us so we can live Your eternal life, so we can know You and have joy. But Father, we make this confession to You. We've been too busy. We haven't seen the need for. We've been... Maybe we just haven't wanted to bear with others. And we've isolated ourselves from fellowship. And in a sense, we have abandoned Your real, relatable presence. Forgive us, God. Lord, um, help us to find groups of Christians that You would lead us to or even maybe help us start groups, small groups, life groups, where we can regularly get together to share what we have in common, to mutually encourage one another, to experience Your real, relatable presence and to live this wonderful eternal life. And then we're, as we're doing it, Lord, and as we, we push forward in this, as we follow through on this conviction, may we have this hope and certainty that You will make our joy complete as we share about the real, relatable presence of Jesus with others. In Your precious name we pray. Amen. Everlasting love Years go by But you're unchanging In this fragile world You are the only Firm foundation Always loving Always true Always merciful And good So good Yesterday Today and forever, you are the same. You never change. Just today, today and forever, you are faithful, and we will trust in you.